Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, good morning, everybody. So glad you're here this morning on this beautiful summer day. Hello to many of you watching and listening online. We're really glad that you're here this morning, too. It was in 2011, we as a church over the summer went through actually a different wisdom book. It was the book of Proverbs. And as I began that series, I had just read an article called uh, Seven Changes in Our World and What We Need to Do About Them. As I was uh, reading that article once again, I wanted to start uh, today with it. This author said there were seven sort of seismic changes happening globally and we would never be the same. The first one was this, the internet has become the new television. That is more true today than it was in 2011. Just think about Netflix. We talked about that last week and we all confessed, right? Binge watching. The second thing we talked about is Starbucks has replaced the front porch. That coffee shops now are the place where much of us have conversation with each other. The new one, the third one was this, that Facebook is the new neighborhood. Now, when I first uh, talked about this article, 600 million people were on Facebook. Now it's 1.23 billion people are on Facebook. The fourth thing is portable devices have replaced the traditional computer. That's more true than ever. Texting has replaced phone calls. Oh, man, is that true? And the next one was this. Twitter is the new word of mouth. Now, since 2011, if you think about it, whole revolutions have been sustained and based on Twitter. Massive seismic changes in how we communicate. And lastly, most interestingly uh, and dangerously, it's this. Google has replaced mentorship. Here's what I said in 2011. Here's what I want to say again in 2015. We have more information and access to information than we ever have had in human history. And this is actually an amazing thing, but it is now producing a new crisis. Information gluttony. Information but no time to digest it or put it into practice. Information is not producing wisdom anymore. We have more facts, but our world does not stop. Our world does not experience. Our world does not practice what the information is telling us to do. So we are not now seeing skillful life produced. It was Dave Adams who said a few years ago, information without transformation is useless. So we have a right living crisis on our hands, and it's not just out there in the culture, it's as much right in here in God's own family. Like I said, it's almost like a version of gluttony. Have you ever been to a really good restaurant and you've eaten too much? Raise your hand, just be honest this morning. Yes. And you know what's happening, like you're going to put that next, would you like dessert? No. Of course I want dessert. And as you're sitting there, you know you've crossed the line into sin when you want to lay down in the restaurant and start to sleep. Anyone done that before? You know exactly, oh, it's like a revival. Yes, me. We hear your confession. You're all absolved. So, but just hear this, like your body saying, I cannot process this. This is too much. I've been telling you for 40 minutes, don't put anything else in your mouth. And we're like, oh, I'm going to keep going. Well, it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. More information does not equal skillful living. And more information does not actually equal knowing God more or being closer to God or loving him more. Actually, we just want to fall asleep because it's just too much. The call out of wisdom is to slow down, to learn, to listen, obey, and apply, and produce godly lives. Knowledge becomes wisdom when godly knowledge is applied in everyday life. Knowledge becomes wisdom when it's applied. 
And so we should not be shocked in week two of our series out of the Psalms letting the light in that the very first psalm out of the ten styles of psalms, the very first psalm is a wisdom psalm. The editors, after a thousand years of writing and compiling and choosing the different psalms, they specifically chose this psalm not only as Psalm 1, but this is the intro to the whole book. Psalm 1 is the doorway and the bridge into the gateway into the rest of the book. This psalm is an introduction and an invitation to all that God wants to offer you and to give you throughout 150 chapters called the Psalms. And at its heart, Psalm 1 is an exhortation for a godly life. It's a wisdom psalm. Really, it's actually what we've been talking about all year long. It is a call to live in and under the kingdom of God. Everyone ready? To joyfully and fully, here's a key phrase, without resistance want the reign and rule of God in our life. We just sang that song, God is a good, good father. He's perfect in all of his ways towards us. And the best perfect way that God is towards us beyond giving his son is giving us the guidelines for godly living. See, biblical wisdom is kingdom living. Now last week I shared like the golf bag, there are 10 sort of clubs, 10 styles of psalms you pull out in different times of life. And the wisdom psalms always talk about and outline concrete ways God wants us to live in actually all the seasons. Wisdom is not just found in the psalms. It's found in Job and and the Song of Songs and Proverbs. And all the wisdom literature of the Bible continually is filled with comparisons and contrasts between godly living and what the Bible calls foolish living. Now the psalm, the one we're about to read today, if you've got a Bible, physically, virtually, would you turn to someone? This psalm is about skillful living. This tells you how to walk with God, walk with yourself, walk with others, and walk in the world. And Psalm 1-1 begins like this. Blessed is the one. Now I just want to stop. We did this in the Sermon on the Mount too. We need to ask ourselves the question, what does that word blessed mean? Because it is a gift and it's an invitation. But what does it mean? It means happiness, but it can't just be reduced to happiness. Blessed means happiness plus. It also means God's personal presence. It has a relational disposition. So let me put it this way. Blessed, when you see that word in the Bible, means right standing right relationship, and right presence with God, which produces a right life. Let me say that again. Blessed is when you have right standing with God, right relationship with God, and the right presence, God's presence, which in the end leads you and produces a right life. It's a a pregnant word. So blessed is the one. So you know you are blessed in all of that way. When? And then he says something negative. Blessed is the one who does not. So you don't do these things. Blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Do not walk, do not stand, do not sit, do not reflect, do not emulate those people that do not truly follow God. Whether they say they know him or not, if they do not emulate him, they do not know him. You are forbidden, he says, as a good father, I tell you this, you are forbidden to adopt the lifestyle, the thinking, the worldview of the wicked. Doing that, if you adopt their worldview in life and imitate them and emulate them, this is actually what the Bible calls being a fool. Now notice the progression, and it's very important this morning, because many, many of us have given in 
to sin multiple times and not even watched herself do it. But the progression of giving in is right here. Notice the gradual sort of compromise. You stand with people, and then you're around people, and then you begin to walk like they walk, and then you begin to think like they think, and then you begin to reflect them, and then you begin to sound like them, and then you begin to act like them, and before you know it, you stop and you sit. That is, you move in. You are now living fully like those who do not love God, do not love His holiness, do not love His love, and do not love His scriptures. The church fathers, many of them called this the deepening corruption. Wickedness, sin, and mockery are not words we find very much used anymore in our culture. But this is what they mean. The wicked are those who are guilty before God. So that's all of us. Sinners is a phrase that was described, describing a life that is dominated by sin. In other words, you continually, or this person continually, says yes to everything God says no to, and you're okay with it. And then mockers are people that outright mock, have disdain, belittle, undermine, and attack God himself, or God's word, or godly living, and also they usually mock people who try to follow God. In Proverbs 3.34, God talks to mockers, and God says, God mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. See, worship, Psalm says, Psalm 1 says, worship and wisdom will lead you away from envying those and living with those that in the end will be brought down by God himself. But there's a huge problem as I start preaching this this morning. I think it struck me on Wednesday. Almost every one of us sitting here today, all of you watching online on some cottage somewhere, you're going, yeah, yeah I agree with someone. Yep, I'm in. Psalm 1-1 is really good. And by the way, overall, that's not me. But here's the question. If we're going to be truly honest about wisdom, and this is an invitation to the whole book of Psalms, and we actually want the perfect ways of our good Father, then here's the question we all have to ask, even on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. What does wickedness, and what does sin, and what does mocking even look like? Because left to my own interpretation, and your own interpretation, we will dismiss, hide, or even play down sin. Even as Christians, many times in this church, we call good evil and evil good. It seems, and I just see this pastorally, it would seem that our views, listen closely, and our culture, and our history, and our stories, and our experiences have more power at the end of the day than God's word. And you know this is true by how you actually behave and what you believe. But God in Scripture is fundamentally crystal clear about what sin, wickedness, and mockery is. See, unless God shows us his loving standards based on his own nature that he invites us to walk into, how can we even choose the path between wisdom and foolishness? But the good news is the Scripture is clear. If you want to start, just read the Ten Commandments sometime today. It gets real clear. Or beyond that, if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Galatians 5? Just I know it's far in the New Testament with Paul. But what we need to do is we have an invitation not to walk, stand, and sit in that lifestyle. We need to know what that is so we can see the opposite direction. Now Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.19. Look, the acts of sin, the acts of flesh, they are so obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
And Paul says, look, I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just walk through this with you because we have to have a clear understanding of this so we can know which path we all want to choose or don't want to choose. The first three words there, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, are all sexual phrases. The second and third one just have to do with sexual excess, but the first one's the most important one. It's the word pornea. I've preached this before. It's where we get our modern word pornography from. Now, this was a word in Greek as a, used as a catch-all phrase to summarize everything that God has said no to sexually. Now, I'm just going to read the dictionary definition of pornea. It's important you just hear this. I'm just reading what the dictionary says. Pornea means adultery. Pornea means fornication. Pornea means same-sex sexual action. Not orientation, but action. Pornea means intercourse with animals. Pornea means incest. Pornea says all these things plus are actually outside of God's design. Any sexual act outside of what God started in the book of Genesis is actually not permitted for those who want to walk with God. For Moses, for Jesus, Matthew 19, and for Paul, actually all the biblical writers, the sexual starting point is Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. That is God's desire and picture. And this is actually one of the things he just says, no, we, we, we don't do that anymore. Now he moves from talking about sex than to worship. He says the second form of sin or wickedness is idolatry. If you choose to worship any other God other than the God expressed in the Bible found fully through Jesus Christ and or you lift up any idea or anything in your life beyond God, that's sin, idolatry. The third one is witchcraft, trying to gain any spiritual power or spiritual insight beyond or separated from God's word and God's Holy Spirit. You're not allowed to do that. The third one is also very, the fourth one is very interesting too, hatred. I learned this this week. Hatred has three meanings. I didn't know this. The first one is hatred between economic classes. So rich hitting poor and poor hitting rich. It goes both ways. That's what this is talking about. Second of all, this actually right in the dictionary definition refers to racism. If you hate someone from another ethnic family, this is your category. And the third expression of hatred is just hatred between people. So you've got sexual issues, then you've got false worship, and now you have class warfare and racism. And then he says, personally, by the way, discord's another one. If you cause division all the time, if you have a quarrelsome spirit, if your life is marked by rivalry, discord, jealousy, you want what someone else has, you don't have it, you think you deserve it, you're coveting, sin, fits of rage, outbursts of anger, marked by anger, not being self-controlled, sin, Selfish ambition, much of what you do, even the amazing good things you do, it's to promote you, your views, your ideas. This is played out at a motive level. Your, your theme song for your life is, it's all about me. Selfish ambition. Then there's dissensions. You're at the heart of every dispute. You cause disunity, you create strife, you revolt against any godly authority or rebellion marks you. Now the next word, maybe you've grown up in church and heard it, but you really don't know what it means. Factions. Factions is a religious word. It's where we get our word heresy from. It is those who actually appear right and are preaching, but are preaching false things, such as, well, Jesus isn't really God, or there wasn't really a virgin birth, or you don't really need to believe in the afterlife. Factions. And then he continues on. He says envy, which is close to jealousy. Then he says drunkenness. 
It's never been God's will, by the way, and it's never okay. It's not God's perfect desire for us that we get drunk, buzzed, high, stoned, tipsy, inebriated, lit, plastered, potted, wasted, tanked, under the table, under the influence by any substance at all, not for a moment, not for a season, not for a lifetime. That's not part of our movement. And then he ends by saying orgies. And orgies is a catch-all phrase meaning free living. It's actually a really old word. In, in Victorian English, we would say it's wenching, whoring, wildness, where pleasure replaces God. Now, Paul says, just like Psalm chapter 1 says, I've warned you, and I've done this before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very important as we get back into the psalm. This is not saying those who struggle. This is not saying those who have a temporary lapse. This is not saying those who occasionally stumble. This is saying those that live like this, celebrate this, habitually behave like this, they do not know God, and they do not have eternal life. So the wisdom of God in Psalm 1 says you do not stand, and you do not walk, And you do not sit in any of this anymore. This does not mean you can never hang out with friends or or, or people that behave like this. But if you've been called by God, you are not allowed to emulate. You're not allowed to uh, imitate. You're not allowed to follow. You, You can't try to be like this. You can't copy this anymore. No, God says, as your loving father, my ways are perfect towards you. There is a better way. So I would like you to let the light in right at this moment and choose another path as as what we've called all year the kingdom ethic. Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who who meditates on his law day and night. We're called into a radical new wisdom life where we love God because he's loved us first, found fully through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ultimately, as Jesus people, know his voice fully and primarily through the scriptures, God's word. So this is what we hear out of the scriptures. Blessed are you... When you delight in God's law. Blessed are you when you know that the scriptures are not oppressive, but are life-giving. Blessed are you when you do not just hear God's word, but you obey God's word. See, remember, the Psalms are not just songs we sing. The, The Psalms are not just poems to inspire. They're not just prayers we cry out. They are scripture themselves. They're God's very breathed word to us, and they show us how to live a godly life. And it says, blessed are you when you delight in the scriptures and you meditate. Now, this is not like New Age meditation where you clear your head. No, it means to ponder, to ruminate. This is actually the call to deal with the information gluttony issue we have. Blessed are you when you stop and over a lifetime begin to truly wrestle through the scriptures, to ruminate, to think through, to apply the scriptures. And as you do this, you will be changed over a lifetime, and you will walk away from what we just read, and you will want to walk in and under God's word. And then he says this, if you know God, and if you know God and you love his wisdom, this is God's promise to you. That person is like a tree well planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its seasons, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Now, when I read this, I've heard this growing up in church my whole life, but I didn't get this. When I read this, I thought about a wild a tree and it just dropping its seeds and it randomly happening. You know those helicopter seeds, the maples? That's what I always pictured, it just coming down and it rent. No. I didn't know in Hebrew it reads like this. That the master gardener, takes a seedling 
And he plants it where he desires it to grow. And he actually waters it. It's like actually him planting a tree in a conservatory or a personal garden. And the master gardener, not a random act, the master gardener is the place, he's the one who places it where it must grow, and he will tend it the rest of its natural life. He says, this is what happens when you choose wisdom. This is actually the result, the evidence of blessingness. But then he says in verse 4, but it's not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. When you root yourself in you, When you root yourself in evil, when you root yourself in sin, when you root yourself in self-trust, when you root yourself in any other leader, any other book, any other worldview, then you will not last. You actually will be the reverse of a tree. You will not be rooted and you will not ripple into eternity. You will not be sustained. You will not be, from heaven's perspective, stable. You will be blown away. And the rejection of or accepting of God in his wisdom has eternal effect. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See that phrase, the way? The way at its heart is this. We choose one of two paths. One leads ultimately to life. The other leads ultimately to death. So the person that knows God, not just knows about God, but knows God, is watched over. God intimately, intentionally, and internally cares for his trees. And God says, not only will I care for you, you will join a congregation, a new group of people, and you will find a new home in God, in his community, and in his word. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now that thought may seem delayed to us, but it is coming. That is coming in the very end. Remember the passage that Dave and I both preached out of, where Dave imitated me so very well? Do you remember that? Yes. Remember the very last verse out of 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10? Jesus, who will rescue us from the coming wrath, See, the last thing that we know as Christians that Jesus will do for us us, is he will save us from ultimate destruction. There is a coming wrath. God's wrath comes at the end of time. God is not out of control like I preached. He's not vindictive. He's not unjust. He's not like there's three sides to this story. No, he knows everything. And it's very critical we hear this this morning. God is holy love. In that order, the reason why we can sing about God's perfect love towards us is because he is holy. If he wasn't holy, we couldn't trust his love. And Jesus himself is called both Savior and Judge. See, God will not let any sin go unpunished. He's a just God. And God's wrath is real because of our original sin and our ongoing sin. And God's wrath remains upon all humans. See, here's the thing. We're all mockers, we're all sinners, and we're all wicked. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, who already took our deserved wrath in him, that's how the game changes. Remember John 3.36? Whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life, but whoever rejects Jesus will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. All human beings in every generation will not escape the conversation between themselves and God. Poor, rich, powerful, wealthy, religious, unreligious, good, bad, all people will face God. And the psalmist cries out this in the intro to the Psalms. The sinful mocker and the wicked will in the end be swept away. They will not have the last word. 
And by the way, if some of you are just saying here, well, I've prayed a simple prayer, so I'm in Jesus. No, no. And you will know if you fully embraced God and met him through Jesus, if wisdom continually is marking you in larger and larger measure over a lifetime. You will know someone by their fruit. You will know if they're a tree. Now, here's the truth. A lot of us, as we look around, it doesn't feel this way. If we could have an honest moment in church, which I hope we could do all the time, it just doesn't look that way. We actually look around according to what I've just said, what the scriptures have just said, and, and all the sinful stuff, and all those who embrace that, which is many of us sitting in here, we look around and go, well, actually, they seem to have a much better life than I ever did. In our honest and dark moments, we look around and we look at the other road and the other life and it looks better, more fulfilling, easier, and oh, by the way, makes way more sense to us. We actually say things to God like, God, you got to get this thing wrong. Those things can't be sin. And in that moment, when life seems better over there or it doesn't make sense to us or we have the wrestling, and by the way, wrestling is welcome in this church. Doubt is welcome in this church. But in that moment of struggle... There is the temptation and offer to walk away from God's perfection for us. There is an invitation for us to begin to walk and to stand and to sit in folly. But it's so important as we start the series together that you pair Psalm chapter 1 with another psalm. Psalm 73. Got a Bible turn there. Psalm 73, I actually believe as I was preparing this week, this passage is for a whole group of you this morning. Like this is actually God's personal word to you. He starts by saying, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 2. But for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant. Is that you? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from all common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they close themselves with violence. They have an amazing life, and I'm over here trying to be faithful to God and and saying no to what I want to do, and they get that life, and I got this one? From their callous hearts comes in iniquity, their evil imaginations. They've got no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. I mean, the people that follow them, they've got a great deal. And they say things like, well, how would God know? <laughs> Does the Most High know anything? Are you joking me? Hashtag get out. This is the wicked are like, look, always free of care, going on amassing wealth. Here I am being faithful to God. And people over there, they're getting rich. They're on Men's Health magazine. Life is amazing for them. And here I am. Verse 13 is the verse. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm not sure if I even agree with God on all those things. And not only that, I've been trying to be pure for years and I know Jesus loves me and I'm trying to follow him. But honestly, as I look at my friends who supposedly are, you know, wicked, let's be honest, they're a lot nicer than my Christian friends. And they've got a better life than I do. So you know what? I think I'm out. Verse 16, when I tried to all understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And then the turning point is here. Until. Until. 
Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until I put myself back in the presence of God. Until I walked back among the people of God. Until I put myself under the word of God. When I did that, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you've placed them on a slippery ground. You will cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O God, you will despise them as fantasies. Are you about to walk away? Is your doubt, which is welcome, evolving now into jaded skepticism? Are you beginning to walk? Are you already standing? Are you about to sit down in sin and declare it good? Have you out loud or to yourself said, God, you're just wrong on that issue? Oh, by the way, when I was reading Galatians 5, at any moment when you got angry or defensive, you know immediately where you're struggling with God. This is God's moment for us. God is saying, like we sang, because he's a good dad, my beloved child, that way in the end leads you to places you are not allowed to go and you truly actually don't want to go. Love me as you once did. Do not envy. Do not look back. Do, do not look to the left or right. Do not look to yourself. Do not look to the culture. For its wisdom, though it appears right, is broken, marred, tainted, and it will not last. Look up. And no love. Look up and no holiness. No, look up and see wisdom. Look up and no freedom that actually lasts. Did you catch it? The whole book of Psalms doesn't start with singing. The whole book of Psalms does not start with crying or lamenting or raging about our enemies. The whole book of Psalms does not start with joy or clapping. It starts with one thing. The image of a tree. Now the Hebraic mind, they would have understood the power of this moment. See, immediately to the Jew, when they heard the word tree, they'd go, Eden. What was lost and what could have been. In the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, the word or the image of tree was used for God's temple, the guaranteed place of contact with the living God. In Isaiah and Zechariah, the word or image of a tree was used for the Davidic, David's throne, which would actually last and ripple into eternity. And then, of course, in the Gospels, the ultimate culmination of the tree becomes the cross where Jesus, the Son of God, came and actually dealt with everything that is a barrier between us and a holy God. And in the book of Revelation, the last sort of conversation when the new heavens and the new earth are established and the new Jerusalem comes down at the center of that city is a tree and it says that all the nations will be healed here's the point do you want to be a tree planted by the living God do you want to be someone who is rooted in God's presence and will be healed in God's presence and forgiven in God's presence and be in contact with God's presence or do you want to be unrooted and become like chaff that blows into nothing in eternity Psalm 1 says, here are your options. It's an instructional psalm. It's a choice between two paths, two destinations, and two outcomes. Now this is an invitation, not a rebuke. This is an invitation to read and to know and walk with the God that many of you have already met. This is a continued call to actually live life with God and in God. God starts the conversation not with a scolding look and a no no he starts the conversation by saying I want to what bless you 
But here's the truth. The road with God is less traveled. The road with God, the wisdom of God, is less popular. The wisdom of God will not only marginalize you from family and friends and culture. Actually, something deeper will happen. The wisdom of God will offend, confront, and challenge you, me. At the very core of who we are, because many of the things we say are good or okay or just living, God says, are not his wisdom. But if you've met God fully through Jesus and you live under his lordship, under his kingdom, then God, it says, will plant you and God will tend you and God will sustain you and God will grow you and God will honor you and God will bless you and God will plant you forever. We've got no better friend than God. I love that Dan said that he's our friend. By the way, we didn't talk about this at all. I've read in my notes here, there is no better friend than God. Because God is love, and he's freedom, and he's trustworthy. And by the way, he's the only thing that lasts in the end. Psalm chapter 1 is an invitation to wisdom. Not just information, not just religious thinking, for a radical, godly, countercultural, God-honoring, life-giving, tree-planting reality few things as we end. Number one, to walk in the wisdom of God, you actually need to meet him. See, this is very important. I start this, and this is actually applies all summer. By the way, please, please, please hear this. The Psalms are written and compiled for people that are already worshiping God. And yet many, maybe this morning in the sound of my voice, maybe you don't know God through Christ, or you say you do, but you haven't met him. This psalm is not teaching that if you work really hard and do all this wisdom stuff, then you get to know God. No, no. That's actually called religion. I'm saved by what I do. And actually, wildly, the Bible actually calls religion in that form wicked sin and mockery of grace. You need to first turn to Jesus alone, his work alone, and just say, well, I actually need saving If you've, during this message, been saying things like, well, I want to be tended by God like that. I want God to be my father because I don't, that's unbelievable. I want him to plant me like that tree. I I want to not hide anymore. I I want your love. Your ways sound better than the ways I've been living or or more beautiful or more fulfilling. I want to be blessed by God. I, I want to walk in the wisdom of God. Well, then, if you want all that, wildly, the way you begin that conversation is you say these words to God. Actually... I'm the sinner, I'm wicked, and I'm the mocker. Save me from myself so I can actually start this journey. Years later, Paul said, the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you will be blessed, you will be changed. So I just want to stop because I must do this, compelled to do this, I'd like everyone to close their eyes, all of you online again, unless you're driving, we always say don't do that. But would you take a moment, and if you have not met God personally through Jesus, and you want the wisdom of God, you want to be planted by God, you still have to start by saying, I actually need to meet him first. So just simply say this, good morning God, I was not expecting this, but I need to admit to you right now, I actually am the sinner, and I'm the mocker, And I'm wicked. That's me. And I need you to save me from me. I need you actually to forgive me of where I've sat 
and where I've walked and where I've stood. I'm done. I want to be loved by you. I want to be planted by you. I want, to, I want to have this thing that these other people around me keep talking about. So I'm done. I, I surrender. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I, I say yes. You cover all the stuff where I've stood, sat, and walked. Just cover me. I want to be a tree planted by you. Give me eternal life, life now and life in the future. I turn from my old ways and I say yes to God through Jesus. And now I ask that wisdom would begin to mark me the rest of my life in a way I can't even imagine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, tell one of our prayer people afterwards and we'd love to help you. A few things for us is the worshiping community. And it's just really important as we begin this journey together, we actually need to end where we began. We're not just allowed to hear as Christians. We must do. It was Charles Spurgeon so long ago in England when he was preaching on Psalm 1 who said these words. You will know if you're obeying Psalm 1 if your life is ordered, your footsteps are ordered by the word of God. Jesus said, remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Or James 1.22, don't merely just listen to God's word and deceive yourself. No, no, do what it says. See, there's two images if, if you want to go away with them, and here they are, and they're related to God's wisdom. Number one, it's like this. If you really want the wisdom of God, and I want the wisdom of God, you actually approach God in his scriptures, not like this, not like this, not like this, not like this, not like this. You approach him like this, and you say, Lord, you can speak to me about anything. Any view I have, any theological view I have, any view on anything in my life, in my family, anything, I, I will not fight you. Come, Lord, and speak. If you want the wisdom of God, you always start like here, never like here, and never like here. And the second thing is this. We sang the song, you know, our father's a good father, and his, his ways are perfect towards us. But understand something. The second image is not just this. It's this. It's this. We are under the word of God as Christians. We are not, it interprets us. We do not interpret it. The wisdom of God has the authority and has the last say, not us. And since God is uncreated and we are created, and since he is holy and we are not holy, we not only say, Lord, you may speak, we also say, Lord, when I approach your word and Holy Spirit, when you speak to me, I am ready to submit to anything you say because I know that you're a good father who wants to do something in me that is good and godly and lasts into eternity. So there must be this posture of openness and submission because we know the one we're meeting is perfect and kind and good. Last thought, this is not a call to some distorted view of separation. This is not saying, well, you know, all those people out there and all, no, 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 no. Remember what Jesus taught us in Matthew 9, 12? It's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. For, for I have not come for the righteous but the sinner. So many people have preached Psalm 1 and said, so all you Christians out there, you better not be hanging. no. What this is saying is we are actually called more to let light in everywhere. We are called to be family members and friends with all sorts of people. 
that absolutely do not want the lordship of Jesus and are not slaves to Jesus and do not want or respect the kingdom of God and do not believe God is a good father and do not want to be open or submit under the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Well, we are among them. And remember, they're just people like us. And actually, some of them are nicer than a lot of us. You're not allowed to adopt their views. You may not adopt their lifestyles. You may not begin to say, though I'm friends with you, I will begin to go against the word of God. This is how you let light in to you. And this is how you let light in to your family. And this is how you let light in into your community. You are not a a spiritual Christian segregationist. You are absolutely in this world, but you are not of this world. But you continually say to God, oh, because you are good. I want the wisdom of God to mark me. The book of Job, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, Song of Songs, all the wisdom of Scripture says from God's view, there are three things. Two roads, two lifestyles, two destinations. One ends in what we call foolishness, and the other actually lands in this thing called wisdom. Would you maybe be willing to pray this prayer? I'll tell you first. Would you be willing to say, God, I want your wisdom? And say to him, maybe once again, I'm willing to submit to your wisdom. Maybe as we prepare for communion, maybe some of you, as you approach communion, need to say to God, actually, I will no longer fight you on this issue. Or no, I won't rest. Like, maybe some of you need to repent at the table and say, you know what? I've resisted your wisdom, and I will no longer do it. I will trust you beyond what I've experienced. Or others, you just need to say, Lord Jesus, oh, the great gift you've done for me. I just, more of your wisdom, more of your word, because you're good and you're kind and you have your best plans for me. But let's pray things like this. So would you stand together as we prepare to respond in song and communion, but first to the message, God of heaven and earth, a lot of us just come before you very simply right now and encourage, discourage, or somewhere in between. Here's what we want to pray. Lord, I take my hands and I open them before you and I say, I will not fight you. I don't want to just love you, I want to trust you. I will not fight you. Second of all, I choose to bow. Like I I willingly bend my heart to you because I want to be marked by your holiness and your Holy Spirit and your word and your love. Lord, do this thing in us that is beyond sort of natural. And also, Lord, we pray that at this moment you would begin to meet us at these communion tables as we come celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he's cleared a path and made us clean and given us access. And out of that access gives us wisdom. Lord, uh, hear our prayers. Meet your people today. We ask in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, Amen. So as we invite you this morning, just want to remind you, communion is the symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. Communion is the symbol of our forgiveness. It's the symbol of God's actual wisdom to the world, expressed fully through Jesus. If you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you're welcome to these tables to celebrate his death and resurrection. Maybe you need to thank God for his son, repent of sin, do what you need to do. But as we always say, if you're not a Christian yet, please do not take this because it does not actually apply to you. You've not said yes to what it represents. If you want to meet him, like we always say, meet him here. He, it's a good place to meet him. 
Second thing too is if you're a Christian and you're struggling, run. If you're doing well, run to the tables. If you're in rebellion and you refuse to submit to the one that loves you, then don't take it right now. And lastly, just want to remind you too is as we come forward and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we work through wisdom and all you've said to us, give generously too to the care fund. Let us demonstrate very practically the love of Jesus to our community. So we just ask you to do this. God bless you as you meet with, hear from, and experience Christ. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.